Hello and welcome to the Locked On Boston Bruins podcast, part of the Locked On Podcast Network, your favorite team every single day. Uh, I'm your host, Ian McLaren, and uh, I'm especially pleased to bring you this special edition of the podcast where we will uh, feature a, a very cool guest interview. I'll get to that in a moment. First, I'd like to just remind you that you can follow the show on Twitter at LO underscore Boston Bruins. You can also find me on Twitter at Ian C. McLaren. Uh, the podcast is available wherever you get your, your podcasts, whether it be Apple, Google, Spotify, Stitcher, Pocket Casts. Um, uh, please download, subscribe, rate, and review to the podcast if you get a chance. It would be very helpful, and uh, I very much appreciate it. Like I said, this is the Locked On Boston Bruins podcast. We are part of the Locked On Podcast Network, where we talk about your Boston Bruins every single day. And like I mentioned, it's a special episode today as we'll kind of um, do away with the regular format of uh, teeing up games since the Bruins are off until Saturday. Uh, and uh, we won't be looking at, uh, you know, the power rankings we'll, we'll put off till tomorrow. And uh, we will not be looking at uh, around the NHL because today I am chatting with former Boston Bruins forward, 2011 Stanley Cup champion, and uh, he now works for the Dallas Stars in player development role, and that would be Rich Peverly. Uh, Rich uh, and I have bumped into each other a few times over the years, uh, seeing as we live in the same town. Uh, the first time was when uh, the Bruins won the Stanley Cup, and I was able to celebrate through him when he brought uh, the cup up here to Guelph. My wife and our oldest son, who was one at the time, uh, we went down to the Sleeman Center, which is the local OHL rink, and uh, Rich uh, brought the cup in and uh, graciously offered his time to uh, take pictures and and sign autographs. I got a puck signed at the time uh, by him. Uh, since then, we've you know bumped into each other a few times at a local breakfast restaurant, at kids' soccer games. Uh, most recently in the media room at uh, the Sleeman Center during the Guelph Storms run to the OHL Championship last year. Um, it was great to uh, catch up with Rich, to reconnect, and to ask him a bunch of questions about uh, getting traded from Atlanta to Boston, his time with the Bruins, uh, what it was like uh, winning the Cup, what it was like in 2013 uh, falling to the Chicago Blackhawks, and kind of what that might mean for, for this year's Bruins, as well as uh, the trade to Dallas, um, the unfortunate events that led to his early retirement, and uh, what he's been up to since. Um, so yeah, I'm very pleased to present this uh, interview with Rich Peverly. Uh, th- thanks again to him for taking the time to chat, and uh, I hope you really all enjoy uh, this interview that I have with him. I'm joined now by a former Boston Bruin forward and 2011 Stanley Cup champion, uh, Rich Peverly. Thanks for uh, jumping on the podcast. Like I mentioned, it's a, a daily Boston Bruins podcast. And when I first started, uh, I knew I wanted to, to connect with you again because I know that uh, a lot of Bruins fans have uh, a special place in their hearts for, for, for you as part of the, the 2011 uh, Stanley Cup championship team and uh, I believe you were able to uh, go to game one of the the 2019 final with with a bunch of the guys from that uh, winning team. Uh, 
can you talk about that experience and what it was like to go back to Boston and, and be part of the, the final atmosphere again and, and be back with some of the guys from the 2011 team? It was awesome. It was, uh, you know, such an honor that uh, the Bruins organization brought brought a numerous amount of us back. Uh, we got a text message about a, a, about four or five days before asking if we wanted to, a couple guys wanted to, to come down. And, you know, I had been back to Boston now quite a few times because uh, with my new job with the Dallas Stars, uh, I, 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 I'm in charge of our prospects and we had a, a goalie at Boston University. So I, I, I got to go back and and see the city and you know and relive uh, fond memories. But going back for the final, you know, it's um, you forget how electric the city becomes, or uh, the, just the whole atmosphere around around the the game. Um, you know, the finals bring so much. You know, it's good when you make it that first, second, third round Stanley Cup finals is uh, is quite electric. But I'm, when you get to the finals, it's a different atmosphere. And especially mm-hmm. in cities like Boston, uh, like hockey cities, original six cities, uh, everyone in the city uh, just you know kind of gets up for it. So it was it was unbelievable the the atmosphere around the Garden. Uh, obviously, they made some uh, cosmetic uh, reconstruction done around the outside of the building. So that was kind of cool to see. Um, you know, it's uh, it's always fun going back to Boston. It's uh, probably my favorite city in the world, and. Uh, somewhere I, I really truly enjoyed it as playing as a player. Yeah, talk talk a bit about um, the trade that brought you from Atlanta to Boston and kind of what it was like um, moving from a city like Atlanta, not a traditional hockey market, and going up to to Boston um, to to play for an original six team. Well, I think in Atlanta was. Uh, it was a different atmosphere. Uh, it, Atlanta has a lot of transplants. A lot of people moved there from the south, uh, from the north. Um, I believe that there was a lot of hockey fans there. You had your, you know, small group of diehard fans, but then you know, there was other hockey fans there, but maybe they weren't Thrasher fans. They were Saber fans or Bruins fans or Red Wings fans. Right. So you know, I think right. when we, when I got, when I was there, it was a struggle for crowds, but. You know, it was still, you know, you have a good Saturday night. There was still some fans. But, you know, when I did have the opportunity to move to an original 16, it was always kind of, uh, you know, it would have been something that I really, really enjoyed and thought I would enjoy. And when I had the opportunity to join the Bruins, I, you know, at first I was a little scared because I went from playing a top six role in Atlanta to wondering where I was going to fit on the team. Uh, you know, obviously with – uh, the amount of stars that they had and still have, um, you know, you wondered what kind of role I would have. But uh, right when I was traded, I was traded for Blake Wheeler and Mark Stewart, essentially right. to open up the cap space to get Thomas Caverley. Uh, right, so yeah. Combined three or four million dollars uh, less than those two players, Mark Stewart and Blake Wheeler. So, uh you know, it was great. I, I immediately was inserted into a line with Chris Kelly and Michael Ryder, and uh, Chloe did a fantastic job of, uh, you know, still involving me. I played power play and penalty kill, so my minutes were great. Uh, relied upon on, on face-offs myself, and uh, you know, Chris Kelly kind of took them back and forth on our strong side. So 
you know, it was a, it was an uh, unbelievable chance to go in and play with a good team and good players and be consummate pros. And you know, it was something that I, you know, still to this day, I've learned so many fantastic uh, life skills from those from that group of players. One thing I always wonder about that trade is, uh, do you keep in touch with Boris Valabek at all? <laughs> Whatever happened to him, do you know? He was the only uh, guy that came Boris, I, on. Yeah, Boris, I think, was, uh, you know, had, he had to move contract for contract. Just right, yeah. Now in the NHL. And, and <laughs> Boris was a good guy. He was Slovakian. I think he was a first-round pick, actually. And uh, I think he maybe finished that year in Providence and then went back to Europe and finished his career. He was a, he was a nice guy, but he was, uh, you know, it didn't pan out for him. Yeah, 10th tenth, tenth overall pick in, in 2004. And he played, yeah. yeah, I guess he he played as late as 2017. It looks like in uh, over in Europe. Yeah, always interesting to go back and look at the those trade histories and see guys that that were thrown in or draft picks that were thrown in and and see what became of uh, players like that. Uh, obviously, yeah. um, you you mentioned you were in Boston for the 2019 final. You were part of the 2011 uh, championship team, but you were also part of the uh, 2013 team that um, that uh, lost to Chicago in the final. Uh, that's kind of an experience that that the current group uh, went through um, this past spring. Um, what? What did you learn from from that experience, and and what uh, what can the current group take uh, from that and uh, kind of turn it into a positive uh, for this season? Obviously, they're off to a pretty great start. They're nine nine one and two to start this season, so there's not doesn't seem to be much of a hangover. But um, yeah, just maybe talk about that 2013 experience and and what what you were able to take away from it, as hard as it might have been. Uh... I think the the one thing that I, I learned from the the next year and from the 2011 was you played so much hockey, um, and I am not sure the amount of games the Bruins ended up playing last year uh, in total. But this year, I'm not surprised that they got off to a good start. It almost seemed like the transition to go into the next season is is easier because you played two months longer than everybody else. So right. the off season and getting those habits and everything, it's almost like you continue playoff hockey. So I'm not that surprised that the Bruins are off to a good start. The hardest part, I believe, for them will be come January, February, March, when it starts to be a grind mentally. And I'm sure that the Bruins, you know, are going to give them the, for their players time off. But it's the mental grind that mm -hmm. uh, it starts to eat on you, and then follow that up with playoffs again. Uh, you don't see many teams now go into a playoffs, go far, and then the next year continue that. I think the LA Kings were uh, – I can't remember the last team that's gone to, gone to a, a conference final or final in consecutive years in a while. So that'll be a challenge for them. But I think those specific learning lessons from not winning is – I think that I think you put a lot of pressure on yourself when you're playing at home. Um, you gotta go. You gotta go into those games relaxed, and it's easy to say, but I think that experience of losing now, those players will learn from it. They're all great individuals, like I said, consummate pros, fantastic pros, 
and they mm-hmm. all have that burning desire to win another cup. I know Brad Marshawn, Bergeron, Charles, these guys are the most competitive guys I've ever met. So they're going to, they, they probably have that burning desire to win another cup. And, you know, for the guys that haven't won a cup, I'm sure they're seeing those leaders and how much they want to win. And they're going to probably jump on board with that. Yeah. I mean, I, I look at this team and I look at guys like, Chara and, and Bergeron and who else has been around? Krejci, Rask, uh, guys that have been around Marchand through this whole run of success, like over the last eight, nine years. Uh, I look at Chara and he just doesn't seem to be slowing down. Um, what What do you think makes guys like Chara and Bergeron so special as as leaders for, for this team? I, I can't imagine another – it's hard to picture another team having that – that solid of a, a leadership group even David Krejci seems to have uh, a lot of sway in the room kind of as a uh, the second line center what what makes those guys so special in that respect and is it is it something from the organization itself or is it something that they brought uh, just that's unique to them uh, what what sets them apart do you think as as those kind of great leaders well I think that you know, you, you mentioned uh, Krejci, Bergeron, uh, Marshawn, Chara, Rask. These guys are probably some of the most competitive people I've ever met. Uh, they hate losing. They compete in practice like they compete in the game. They translate that over. They, that's what makes all the players around them better. And it, and it, it, kudos to the Bruins organization, Don Sweeney, the whole organization for recognizing, listen, these guys, we have to make this, this is our core. And Peter Shirelli was probably part of that as well that brought those, a lot of those guys in. But those are, those are your core. Even Tory Krug, I, I played with Tory only one year, it was one and a half years, but talk about a competitive person that doesn't like to lose. And they translate that and they live it every day. And when you're living it every day, players around you are going to kind of grow and, and, and feel that energy off these players. And when they live their lives, they eat healthy, they sleep properly, they take care of their bodies. They never put themselves in a situation to not succeed. They're always looking to succeed. And those players are... The guy, that's why they're there every single year is these guys want to win and they do everything in their power to win. They're always constantly finding ways to get better. A big part of that is um, that they've had almost zero roster turnover from game seven. Uh, so that's a big, a big plus for them. Like you said, I think uh, Don Sweeney delers, deserves a lot of credit for the way that he's uh, taken over and, and kind of, um, retooled the team after they missed the playoffs a couple of years prior to that. Um, one of the reasons that might have occurred was was the trade that sent you to uh, Dallas uh, along with, with Tyler Sagan, and um, that is still a, a pretty hotly debated trade in, in uh, Bruins circles, although it's, it's worked out pretty well for Boston, um, and Tyler Sagan has developed into uh, a superstar for Dallas. Um, just talk about, uh, maybe that trade as well. And, and what it was like transitioning from, from Boston to Dallas and, um, uh, yeah. How, what kind of growth do you see in, in Tyler since, since he moved down there as well? Well, I'm not going to lie. It was a hard trade, but, uh, yeah. 
uh, some of my best friends. Uh, I absolutely love the city of Boston. I love living in the city. Uh, some of my best friends in hockey uh, are guys that play on that team and played on that team. A uh, very close-knit group that still all speaks quite regularly. And, um, you know, it was hard. But at the same time, I got, you know, everything's kind of happens for a reason. And I had an opportunity after my career, unfortunately, uh, finished early that I could stay with the organization in, uh, in Dallas and now, you know, working under Jim Nill, a uh, very uh, respected uh, general manager in the league. So I've learned quite a bit. You know, it's a lot of, uh, it's a lot of fun. It's uh, something I wanted to do was stay in hockey and I have that opportunity. So it's been great. As for Tyler, I think, you know, Tyler, you know, 18, 19, 20 years old, learned so much from the guys that we spoke about couple minutes ago uh, mm-hmm. those daily habits and uh i think tyler's transition that brought that into his game and it's made him a better pro uh you talked about you know it was two-way game um has come such a long way and it continues to get better but you know you're talking about a 35 to 40 goal score every year in the nhl they're hard to come by and uh he's proved to be that and uh you know hopefully he continues that with us uh, so yeah, you mentioned that you've uh, you've jumped on uh, working with the Dallas Stars. Um, what uh, what's your role with the Stars uh, these days? And um, I know thinking back to the season opener, Boston, Dallas, uh, the Bruins Bruins beat the Stars in that game. Uh, prior to that, I I had talked to um, Sean Shapiro from the Athletic, and he uh, you know our discussion revolved a lot around Dallas taking that next step in the Western conference and, and kind of being a, a candidate to emerge they were The stars were so close to beating St. Louis in the playoffs last year. And, and we all know that St. Louis went on to win. Um, so yeah, what, what's your role with the stars right now and what's kind of your take on uh, their struggles out of the gate this season? Well, it's been, uh, I, I am now player development coordinator for the, for the stars. Uh, I'm in charge of all our prospects that are, uh, outside of the NHL, so that, that involves uh, following our prospects in junior, U.S. college, Europe, uh, following their progress, speaking with their coaches, trying to find ways to get them prepared for pro hockey. I'm also involved with our American League team. Uh, I go on the bench with them, uh, kind of help uh, those guys get, get prepared for the, next, uh, for the next step and little things that I can help around the in their game. Um, so it's a, it's a fun job. It's a lot of fun. It's something I, I really enjoy. And, um, yeah, it's great. Very cool. And, yeah, about uh, Dallas's start to the season, what, what, are, you, what are your thoughts on what's, uh, what's the reason behind their, their early season struggles, you think? Well, we got a, got a great win last night. Uh, yeah. Comeback win against Minnesota, which was much much needed. Hopefully, it sparks some players, uh, you know, to be at the level that, that I think they want to be at. Uh, obviously, when when you're when you start off slow, it, it can kind of snowball, and I think that's kind of what happened. You know, there were some close games that uh, we had a probably were on the short end of the stick, but uh, it kind of snowballed, and and you lose confidence in your game, and I think a lot of players did that. Last night we got some some very lucky breaks on some goals, um, but you know it was 
maybe something that just hopefully sparks some of the players, uh, some new players like Pavelski and Corey Perry that, uh, mm-hmm. you know, are in uh, a different club first time in their, in their careers. So and you have to take into consideration, there's going to be probably a transition period. So, you know, we're hoping that uh, everybody is able to, to start to get going. I think, you know, Sagan three points last night, Radula three, well, four points. Uh, so it's uh, hopefully it, it, it keeps going for us. Yeah, I think I feel like people sometimes underestimate kind of the human element in in making a move like that. Like you mentioned, Pavelski's played his entire career San Jose, uh, always put up numbers every year, year in year out, and then you make that move to Dallas, even though he's you know a respected guy around the league, um, a leader in San Jose. It must be. Uh, somewhat of a, a a shock a bit to to move your family to a different city to step into a room where you're uh, kind of a new guy in there I think fans especially kind of uh, underestimate what what that's like they just expect oh he's done this here so he's gonna step in and do this here right away but yeah I think um, taking into consideration that kind of transition period is something that something that uh, fans might need to be more more aware of would you agree with that i would agree i think you know uh, a guy like Corey perry played almost his full career with ryan getzlaff and you know we don't have ryan getzlaff or right. uh you know pavelski played a majority of his career with joe thornton and he had brent burns on the point and you know it's just little little things that he has to learn that our players do and right um you know, is it uh it's learning to, to find different areas around the ice to score. And those, we're talking about some pretty elite hockey players that are going to learn. So you just got to take some time, and it takes time. So we just got to, you know, be patient, and hopefully it pays off for us. Yeah, yeah, for sure. Uh, just a couple more questions before I let you get on with your day. Um, you mentioned, obviously, uh, how your career uh, came to uh, an early end, which was which was really unfortunate to see, but – I know I and others have really been inspired by the way that you have um, taken that situation and your, your health issues and, and spun that into a positive with uh, your PEVS Protects initi- initiative. Um, can you just explain a bit about uh, what, what you and your family do uh, through PEVS Protects and, uh, and kind of the impact that it's had uh, so far? Well, we... Uh... What we've noticed is that there's not a lot of uh, awareness for um, cardiac arrest. Uh, there's also, you know, there's not a lot of awareness on how to use an, a- an AED, um, an automatic external defibrillator. So my wife and I, you know, in, tra- in uh, coordination with the Heart Stroke in Canada, the American Heart Association of the United States, is we've tried to raise funds to get more awareness out to the public. Uh, there's such a shortage of defibrillators. Uh, you know, in, in my hometown of Guelph, Ontario, there's there's schools that don't even have defibrillators with, with children there that have heart conditions. Right. Uh, and, and some teachers didn't know how to use them. Some players don't know, I'm sorry, some, some students don't know how, how to use them. So what we're trying to do is we're trying to get more defibrillators out to the communities, but we're also trying to spread awareness to younger generation on how to use these defibrillators uh, because during a unfortunate incident of a cardiac arrest 
uh, duress under a, an individual on how to use a defibrillator could come into play. So they could become stressed and uh, not sure how to use it. So we're just trying to spread awareness out to the public as much as we can. In, in, uh, in Guelph, we've raised over $250,000 and put, in, put sorry, numerous amounts of defibrillators out to the public. Uh, in Dallas, we've raised, uh, I don't have a number figure, but it's, it's gotten more and more each year we've done it. Uh, we've raised more and more. We've put more and more defibrillators out into the community. So, you know, it's something my wife and I are very proud that we're doing. Uh, we continue to do it. And, uh, you know, we're very excited about what we're doing. Yeah, that's amazing. So you have uh, another event planned up here in Guelph and another one in Dallas uh, this this season as well? Yeah, so uh, this will be the sixth or fifth year in Guelph, well, be February 14th. Uh, the Gulf Storm game. Uh, we'll be doing the same thing. What we've do, been doing is raising funds uh, through collections and auction items at the Gulf Storm game on February 14th. I believe that's a Friday. And then in Dallas, we started a different thing uh, this past year, and it was called, or last year, called the Big Heart Challenge. And uh, teams are allowed to, or it's a tournament where teams are um, assembled by people and they raise pay a certain amount of money as an entry fee for a team and then the person the team that raises the most amount of money uh plays against a bunch of celebrities okay. and in the celebrities uh each celebrity plays with with the team during this during the whole tournament and at the end they play against the team that we raised the most amount of funds so last year in dallas we had you know uh, it was run really well by the dallas stars foundation we had uh E. Carbono, Dennis Savard, Mike Medano, uh, Brendan Morrow, myself, Alish Hemsky, you know, a pretty great assemble of, uh, of, of NHL Hall of Famers and, and players that played quite a long time. So uh, that was an excellent uh, event. It, it kind of changed, and we raised a lot of money, uh, I believe over $100,000 last year in, oh, wow. in Dallas alone for that. So, um, you know, it's something that's, uh, that's pretty cool, and, and happy to be a part of yeah that's amazing uh just one last question before i let you go and it's, it's a question that i get a lot actually living uh up here in guelph or in southern ontario and as a bruins fan and a lot of people ask me um why there are so many bruins fans in this area i think back to uh the day that you brought the cup to guelph uh after after the bruins won and and uh you brought it to the the OHL rink here, and uh, I was I was pretty blown away by the amount of people that uh, were there. I think the whole floor was pretty much covered by by people waiting to, to get a picture with you in the cup or uh, waiting to say congratulations. And uh, there were some people up even up in the stands. Uh, and every, even when I'm walking around town just wearing a Bruins hat, I'll, pretty much every day someone will say, nice hat or go Bruins. Uh, I have I have an idea as, as to why that's the case, but I was wondering if you had any thoughts on why there's so many Bruins fans in Ontario, in Southern Ontario, or just uh, uh, around above and beyond them just being a, an original six team. I have I really have no idea. Um, <laughs> it's pretty it's pretty unbelievable though when you really think about it. I have some of my best friends. Uh, they're either Leafs fans or they're Bruins fans. They're not Montreal fans. They're not, uh, you know, some are 
Detroit fans, but a lot of them are Bruins fans, and I really don't know why. But it's quite it's quite amazing. We're this far from Boston, but you know mm. there is so many great Bruins fans, and uh, I'm sure Original Six has something to do with it. Probably something that their parents were fans of the Bruins, or yeah. but uh, you know it, it's pretty. It's I, I'd love to hear your theory because I really have no idea. Well, my, my theory is based on my experience. And like you said, it's my dad. Uh, he was a fan of the Bruins. Um, and it his mom was a fan as well, so my grandmother. And I, I think it really came down to um, the Bobby Orr era and him being from him being from uh, Perry yeah. Sound and a good Ontario boy going down to the to Boston and, you know, becoming one of the, the greatest players of all time. He was quite a draw like on Hockey Night in Canada, things like that. So my dad, yeah. he watched games with his with his parents, um, and then he passed that on to me. Me specifically, my sister, she was also a, a uh, an Oilers fan, so I uh, really dug into rooting for the Bruins when they played the Oilers in the finals back back in, like, 1990, just to, just to piss her off. But um, it really comes, yeah. I think. I think Bobby Orr has a huge... Huge impact. Yeah, that makes sense. I even um, I met him. He was scouting at at the university here in Guelph like quite a few years ago, and um, people caught wind that he was at the arena, and there was like a, a big line of people asking him for his autograph, and he he was kind enough to 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 wait around and, and sign some stuff for people. So I, I'm pretty sure yeah. that's one of the one of the roots of it, and obviously the success. Yeah. Of decade or so has yeah it, has and, an, and an unbelievable individual like uh, I, I i met i had the lucky uh, chance of meeting bobby orr when i was about 15 years old my my coach in toronto uh, uh was friends with him and i met him and he's an agent and still owns an agency but uh you know quite an amazing individual uh and obviously i've had other times chances to meet him since i played for the bruins so you know he's a he's a special individual and uh and somebody that the Bruins are lucky to have as their alumni, and obviously one of the best of all time, if not the for best. Sure, yeah. yeah, for sure. He's definitely. I didn't obviously get a chance to watch him, but uh, I was more drawn in by uh, Cam Neely. He was my favorite player as a kid, and uh, I'm sure it was an experience to to be around the team when when he's serving as team president and things like that. But yeah, I think Bobby Orr definitely um, influenced a lot of Ontario Ontario people, and that's why it's. Uh, stuck yeah. around for so long for sure well uh yeah thanks so much again for taking some time to chat rich i really i really appreciate it every time we're we're able to connect no and um, uh yeah i wish you wish you all the best with the stars in this coming year with and patch protects and, and hopefully we can connect Thank again you. sometime this season and uh yeah around town all right thanks a lot appreciate it have a great day so yeah, there you have it. There's my uh, most recent chat with Rich Preveley. I really appreciate again him taking the time, and I think that was uh, some really insightful, informative stuff. If you're able to support uh, Pevs Protects in any way, uh, please do so. Those in Dallas who might be listening, those of you up here in Guelph, uh, hopefully at some point down the road he extends it uh, to different cities. But uh, I know those are the two areas. Uh, closest uh, to his heart right now being that uh, that's where he works and that's where he lives currently Um, yeah great guy Um, really appreciate him taking the time to do that and I hope you all enjoyed this special edition of the Locked On Boston Bruins podcast 
Again, you can follow the show at LO underscore Boston Bruins. Uh, follow me on Twitter at ENC McLaren. Uh, please download, subscribe, rate, and review the podcast on Apple, Google, Spotify, Stitcher. And uh, yeah, tell your friends about this daily Boston Bruins podcast. Uh, it's been a, a great joy to, to be hosting this so far uh, through, I think this is now 24 episodes. And I look forward to, um, yeah, joining you guys again tomorrow to tee up um, the Saturday's game against the Ottawa Senators and take a look at the uh, All the President's Men, which is our uh, weekly power rankings of the top five teams in the NHL. And uh, maybe a little more Charlie Coyle appreciation in there as well. Thanks again for listening to the Locked On Boston Bruins, part of the Locked On Podcast Network, your favorite team every single day. Have a good one, friends.